Mormon Discussion Podcast is about helping Latter-day Saints like you lead with faith while tackling deeper, complex issues within Mormonism. All financial support goes directly towards keeping the podcast alive and supporting listeners like you. To support the podcast, please consider becoming a premium subscriber at mormondiscussionpodcast.org. Again, that's mormondiscussionpodcast, all one word, dot org. You can do this for as little as $1.50 a month or $12 a year, and this will also reward you by letting you listen to premium episodes like this one months before the general public has access. Thanks for listening. And now, on to what you've been waiting to hear. Welcome to another episode of Mormon Discussion. I'm your host, Bill Real. Today I want to talk to you about tithing. I want to split this episode up into three parts. The first part I want to spend talking about the validity of paying tithing on your surplus funds, meaning the money that you have left over after all of your needs, essential needs are taken care of. The second episode I want to spend time talking about the validity of paying on your net and in the third episode talk about the validity of pay or paying on your gross. And so let's start with this first part. And again, we're talking surplus here. And, and certainly the, the first presidency's, uh, statement, which is the official doctrine of the church on tithing says this. It says, for your guidance in this matter, please be advised that we have uniformly replied that the simplest statement we know of is that the statement of the Lord himself that members of the church should pay one tenth of all their interest annually which is understood to mean income. And then it says, and this is really important, no one is justified in making any other statement than this. And we feel that every member of the church should be entitled to make his own decision as to what he thinks he owes the Lord and to make payment accordingly. So the brethren have never really stated surplus, net, or gross officially as the as the standard that church members are to pay on. But they've also not excluded any of those three ideas. And so we're talking about surplus today. I want to line out maybe 12 or so valid reasons for seeing surplus as the appropriate way in which to base your tithing. Point number one is that the celestial law requires one-tenth part of all a man's substance which he possesses at the time he comes into the church. This is found in DNC 119, verse 1, and one-tenth part of his annual increase ever after. See DNC 119, verse 4. And then it says, quote, If it requires all man can earn to support himself and his family, he is not tithed at all. This is from the Millennial Star, 1847. Orson Hyde is the editor. Again, in that periodical, it says, If it requires all man can earn to support himself and his family, he is not tithed at all. The celestial law does not take the mother and children's bread. This is what it says in the Millennial Star. Neither ought else which they really need for their comfort. The poor that have not of this world's good to spare, but serve and honor God, according to the best of their abilities in every other way, shall have a celestial crown in the eternal kingdom of our Father. So there's uh, Orson Hyde, editor of the Millennial Star, and, and its comments on tithing referring to this idea of paying on your surplus. 
We also have the section 119 itself, which uses the word surplus. And this is the section that gives us the law of tithing for this dispensation. Also, the Encyclopedia of Mormonism on the topic of tithing refers to section 119 as the Lord's new law of tithing and not the law of consecration. In other words, historically, the church has understood section 119 as the law of tithing, not the law of consecration. And it speaks directly of surplus. And many apologists have tried to say, nah, 119 is talking about consecration. Tithing is a whole nother thing. And and we really can't use the word surplus in 119 to parse this out. I would simply disagree. Number four, the Joseph Smith translation of Genesis 14. I think this one's a huge one because not only is this an Old Testament scripture, but this is an Old Testament scripture that Joseph has under inspiration corrected and made more easily to understand or more correct. The quote here from Joseph Smith translation of Genesis 14, verse 39, Wherefore, Abram paid unto him tithes of all that he had, of all the riches which he possessed, which God had given him more than that which he had need. In other words, Abraham paid tithes of all that he had, of those things that God had given him above and beyond which he had need. Go back and read it yourself. Joseph Smith translation, Genesis 14.39, seems to indicate that Abraham, or Abraham, was required to pay tithing on his surplus, and that's what he did. Now how about Hebrews 7.4, which is a New Testament scripture, which is also referring back to Genesis 14, where it says, quote, in Hebrews 7, 4, Now consider how great this man was unto whom even the patriarch Abraham gave the tenth of the spoils. So even the New Testament seems to indicate that Abraham paid on his surplus. Number five. How about the actual words of Lorenzo Snow used when he went to the, went to St. George to deliver his address on tithing? This was General Conference 1899. He said, quote, I pray that every man, woman, and child who has means shall pay one-tenth of their income as tithing. Now, I would simply add that when net or gross are used, everyone has means with almost no exception. But when we take the word surplus and pay tithing on surplus, then we can recognize that there will be some people who do not have the means to do it. Number six, the handbook. The handbook reiterates the official church doctrine. It shortens it, but here's what it says. Quote, the simplest statement we know of is the statement of the Lord himself, namely that the members of the church should pay one-tenth of all their interest annually, which is understood to mean income. Now, interest is what is added on. It's extra. You know, if I put $1,000 in the bank account, I earn interest on it. It's what I get in addition to. And this idea of that it's understood to mean income, income, the word income itself can be used in lots of ways. It is absolutely valid and legitimate to use the word income as surplus, as net, as gross. I mean, you could say, hey, I've got some leftover surplus income. Hey, I got my net income after taxes. Hey, I've got my gross income based on the wages my company pays me. And again, no one is justified in making any other statement than this. Number eight, the Lord's Tenth. This was a pamphlet from 1968, and it talks about the tithe as a rental. 
Listen to the quote here, and I believe this is James Talmadge who writes this. As a matter presents itself to my mind, it is as though there had been a contract made between myself and the Lord, and that in effect he had said to me, you have need of many things in this world, food, clothing, and shelter for your family and yourself, the common comforts of life, and the things that shall be conducive to refinement, to development, to righteous enjoyment. You desire material possessions to use for the assistance of others and thereby gain greater blessings for yourself and yours. Now you shall have the means of acquiring these things, but remember they are mine, and I require of you the payment of a rental upon that which I give into your hands. However, your life will not be one of uniform increase in substance and possessions. You will have your losses as well as your gains. You will have your periods of trouble as well as your times of peace. Some years will be years of plenty unto you and others will be years of scarcity. And now, instead of doing as the mortal landlords do, require you to contract with them to pay in advance whatever your fortunes or your prospects may be, you shall pay me not in advance, but when you have received, and you shall pay me in accordance with that with what you receive." If it so be that in one year your income is abundant, then you can afford to pay me a little more. And if it so be the next year is one of distress and your income is not what it was, then you shall pay me less. And should it be that you are reduced to the utmost penury so that you have nothing coming in, you will pay me nothing. Now Talmadge can be seen as defending all three here. And while some may see gross as the conclusion here, I post it anyway as there are phrases used that seem to indicate other options, such as net or surplus as well. Talmadge first speaks of one's needs, and then speaks of not paying in advance, but only once one knows whether one has an abundance or a scarcity. This contradicts some modern leaders who say that we should pay tithing first. Remember, we should pay it annually, and that means essentially at the end of the year, and that we should account for it each year as well. Now, I agree that this last one is the weakest of all of them, but I share it here uh, for you to understand. The next one I want to share, number eight. In more recent times, the church has not called upon members to give all their surplus property to the church, but it has been the requirement according to the covenant that they pay the tenth. This was an emphasis added by Joseph Fielding Smith, Church History and Modern Revelation, four volumes, and this was in volume three, page 120. Without adding tenth of gross, any person listening to this originally or reading it is left to assume tenth of one's surplus. The original law was given to one, was to give one tenth of one's surplus properties and then a tenth of one's surplus ever after. It seems most reasonable that as the church got into better financial shape, it simply removed the first part of one's surplus properties when one entered and members were only now required to pay the tenth. Again, based on section 119. In other words, the doctrine of the church was this idea of giving all of your surplus property to the church when you entered the church. This is from 119. And then from there on out to pay a tenth of your surplus. And that's the way that was understood. President Joseph Fielding Smith here is essentially saying, look, the church has wiped away the responsibility to give all of your surplus property to the church, but you still should continue to pay the tenth. But he's not, he's not saying that 
the tenth of what you paid now is different than the tenth you paid then. He is simply reinforcing the idea that you pay a tenth on your surplus. That's how they did it then. That's how you do it now. Yes, they played on paid you know their entire surplus properties to the church then, but that part we've wiped away. Now all they're required to do is pay the tenth. So again, he seems to be reinforcing this idea of surplus. Number nine, in discussing consecration, the Lord defines surplus as giving more than is necessary for their support. DNC 42.33. Now this is interesting. If tithing is a lesser law, why does it demand more of your money? using the gross or net model, for instance, then does consecration, which uses the surplus model. It just seems like if if consecration is the higher law, and the higher law required surplus to be paid in terms of tithing, then why, when we do away with the higher law, we go to this lesser law, would people be required to pay more, make more of a sacrifice and more of a commitment, especially since we have no doctrinal change, no revelation from the Lord, which gives us this kind of change in what we should be paying on. So number 10, the church, whenever it publishes Lorenzo Snow's words, it leaves out his stating who has means. It it does seem odd that the church has gone out of its way to kind of eliminate the actual important statement by President Snow that indicates that it should be paid on surplus. I'm not making the accusations here, but I will say it does seem odd that the church has gone out of its way or appears to go out of its way to eliminate from the record as much as possible to make it as unclear as possible to members of the church that surplus one is a valid option and two might even be the most valid option upon which to pay tithing. Whenever we're given the quote from President Snow, we get the quote, I plead with you in the name of the Lord and I pray that every man, woman, and child, and then we get this dot, 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 and then the rest of the quote shall pay one-tenth of their income as tithing. But we're missing the important part. I will read the actual quote as stated. Quote, I plead with you. In the name of the Lord, and I pray that every man, woman, and child who has means shall pay one-tenth of their income as tithing. Number 11, in a letter from Heber C. Kimball to his wife Violet and subsequently reprinted in the Elder's Journal, October 1837, pages 4 through 7, detailing the early work of the organization of the church in the Launcheshire area, 1837. My dear companion, this was written to Violet Kimball, This was Lancashire, England, September 2nd, 1837. This is Heber C. Kimball speaking, quote, We have to live quite short, but the brethren are very kind to us. They are willing to divide with us the last they have. They are quite ignorant. Many of them cannot read a word, and it needs great care to teach them the gospel so that they can understand. The people here are bound down under priestcraft in a manner I never saw before. They have to pay tithes to the priest of every tenth they raise so that they cannot lay up one cent. They are in the same situation the children of Israel were in Egypt. They have their taskmasters over them to bind them down. It will be as great a miracle to deliver this people as it was the children of Israel. There are a great many believing in Preston. We are baptizing almost every day. Now, end of quote, 
Heber C. Kimball seems to indicate that the people there, the priests there, were demanding that the people pay tithing every, t- pay tithes to the priests of every tenth they raise. In other words, they were paying tithing on gross and, and Heber, not, not Bill Real. Heber C. Kimball is suggesting that that was priestcraft. So I can see why, thank goodness, the LDS church has not stepped in and defined tithing this far. They haven't. The LDS church, right? The Church of Jesus Christ Latter-day Saints, while I do think it allows people to think that gross is the most appropriate method, the church has never doctrinally imposed that definition. And I, th- and I think for good reason, because to do so would be priestcraft. And Heber C. Kimball seems to be calling that out. Number 12, and lastly, surplus is an expression of God's justice and mercy, which is not the case under gross and net. In other words, if, if a lady whom, who is a widow, who has four children, and she makes almost nothing, she will have nothing left over and she, and, and, and she has no surplus. And so nothing is required of her. And yet the millionaire who has lots of, of homes, owns companies on end, has a ton of surplus. And hence he can pay a much larger amount. This seems to be the most fair, the most just, the most merciful way to interpret tithing when we, when we look at the spectrum of those who have and those who have not. And so that is part one of our, of our effort to try and give validity to tithing being paid on surplus. Now let's roll right into part two. So I've got a, so Dan, yep, you, you got me the stuff, right? The, the information, the facts, the scriptures that support, uh, net and then also growth. No? Wait, you're saying there is no evidence? There's no scriptures that really support net or growth? No? Well, that's going to make this, that means this three-part episode is going to be really short. So you're saying, so I get it. I get it. Sorry, guys. Um, one of the guys who helps out with the show was putting together the information to to help us validate all three options. And, and it apparently it seems that there really isn't uh, any any strong evidence out there of a scriptural or theological interpretation of tithing as as net or gross. So I guess with uh, with that, uh, I'll just end reiterating the the first presidency statement. Uh, they said, for your guidance in this matter, please be advised that we have uniformly replied that the simplest statement we know of is the statement of the Lord himself, and I'll end say this, it's in section 119, and then back to what they're saying, that the members of the church should pay one-tenth of all their interest annually, which is understood to mean income. No one is justified in making any other statement than this. We feel that every member of the church should be entitled to make his own decision as to what he thinks he owes the Lord and to make payment accordingly. And with that, uh, I guess uh, we'll finish. May the Lord warm your shoulders. God bless you. May you seek out the Lord's answers and how best to keep his doctrine of tithing. Might you recognize that all three options are on the table, but that tonight... I hope I have shared with you the historical context and validity of surplus. In fact, I've been paying on surplus for about two years now. 
and and have come to that decision prayerfully, having sought out answers from my Father in heaven on how I might best keep the law of tithing as God intended it for us. May each of you be blessed as you make your own decision, as you seek out your Father in heaven in prayer, and might you each come to your own decision and pay it accordingly. May the Lord warm your shoulders in the sacred name of Jesus Christ. <laughs>